0: Our minds, our minds are an incredible gift, our intelligence, our ability to reason, our curiosity, and how all of that interacts with our senses and our intuition to help us make sense of the world and make sense of how we engage with the world. And one of the challenging things in life is when we encounter things that do not fit with what our minds know or what our experience has revealed. And even more challenging, how do we wrap our minds around these things that we may be learning and experiencing when they don't fit with cultural norms, when they don't fit with accepted wisdom, be it in academia, culture, society, or even our families? Now, there's a huge place in my heart for people whose faith inspires challenges to prevailing wisdom that may deny the dignity of other human beings. In my own family's walk with my brother, who has severe mental illness, I had the privilege of meeting some elderly women who, in the 1960s, had the courage to challenge psychiatry and medicine as a whole. See, at that time, schizophrenia was understood to be caused by schizophrenogenic moms and absent dads, but it really was these schizophrenogenic moms, moms who alternated between being incredibly loving and then incredibly cold and withholding. These women got together discovered that they all didn't really believe they had caused their children's illness. And they started a rebellion. And that rebellion ultimately led to complete overhaul of our understanding of schizophrenia and major mental illnesses. Because it was believed that the swings these moms had would induce fear, paranoia, abnormal behavior, and ultimately, delusions. But these moms knew that they had been loving, so they were the first to stand up and boldly proclaim, no, I am not schizophrenogenic, thank you very much. And their support group that they founded, just four or five little people, people like us, That support group quickly grew into an advocacy group and word of mouth spread across the nation really quickly. Within a year, there were groups of these parents, lots of moms, some dads all over the country. And think about it, in the age of no internet, how does that happen? It happened because everyone was harboring the secret shame of having a mentally ill child and they knew someone maybe in another city, who knew someone in another city, who knew someone in another city, and these people organized. Now, one of the first activist moms got her courage to stand up thanks to her deep faith. She was a devout Catholic, and she has seven children. And she simply asked, if I'm such a bad mom, How come only one of my kids has schizophrenia? (laughs) How come all the others are fine? Her faith in her experience and the God-given witness of what she was living in her life gave her the courage to step forward with what she knew in her heart. There's something wrong with my son, Steve, but it has nothing to do with our parenting. So how do we start conceiving convincing other people to even start conceiving that the world as we know it may not be what everyone thinks. And this tension between what is commonly known versus what is actually at play is being at play before us. This tension is reflected in today's gospel. Jesus, who we know today to be the Son of God, Thanks to scriptural witness, thanks to 2,000 years of Christianity, Jesus, at the time, proclaimed, I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. I am from God. I have seen God. And the reaction of the crowd at the time was, seriously? Is this not Jesus? son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. Whose father and mother we know. Jesus was challenging their understanding of who can come from heaven. And the crowd is complaining. Jesus can't come from heaven. He comes from the mother and father we know. And this knowledge was rooted in the crowd's faith and their faithfulness. It was rooted in what they had learned and been taught and knew from Scripture and from centuries of Jewish tradition. And it was blasphemous to claim that you were from heaven. Only God is in heaven. Only the Messiah will come from heaven. The truth of who Jesus is was being revealed in words and actions, but was only be understood ultimately after his crucifixion, death, and resurrection would only be understood after the cross. And the Gospels and the New Testament that we have, they're not journalistic reports of what happened written down at the time. They were written in retrospect, after the cross, once the revelation had started to hit home. But for now... In the story of today's gospel, the crowd is like, to stretch back to my story about schizophrenia, the crowd is like medicine was, psychiatry and culture were in the 20th century, convinced they knew the nature of the disease. It was called a condition then, but we now know it's a brain disease. This condition was locked in a skull that couldn't be studied unless you were dead. And family activism ultimately pushed the bounds of scientific imagination and ultimately funding research when brain scans came along to discover a bigger truth. So Jesus is asking the crowd to stretch their imaginations, to conceive of God as a living God, and to conceive that he is living bread. He is here to feed our hunger, our deepest hunger. And this isn't an easy concept, and perhaps to push the, the tie with mental illness a bit too far, we could say scripture is like the brain scans for finding Jesus. We're in week three right now of reading about Jesus as the bread of life. And we're about to have a few more weeks about Jesus as the bread of life. And these all come from the sixth chapter of John's gospel. The first week we had Jesus feeding the 5,000. Last week he compared that temporal bread with himself, the bread of life. He compared perishable food with the everlasting food that feeds our deepest longings. And today... We have the concept that this bread, that Jesus, actually comes from heaven and is a gift to us, a living gift to us from God. So this summer, over these five weeks, we're invited to sit with the sixth chapter of John. And I encourage you all to go home or at some time in the next week or perhaps oftentimes in the next few weeks to read the whole chapter and reread it and reread it because it's not easy reading. And this concept we may take for granted, the bread of life, has huge layers of meaning that may go beyond what we think we know. This revelation is that Jesus, the ultimate gift from God, is alive today in the breaking of the bread, and he invites us into relationship. Now one scholar calls the sixth chapter of John, the bread of life discourse in John, he calls it the obnoxious discourse. Because as the weeks progress, as our readings will progress over the weeks and the chapter moves on, Jesus seems to amp up the challenges to prevailing wisdom. And his statements become more provocative and don't always flow in a neat argument And so today, we can have a hard time, just like the crowd, wrapping our heads around Jesus and around what we think we know versus what is actually there. What is actually there about the saving power of his love and how God's love is present today, feeding our hunger and providing us with the fuel to go out and do God's work to go out and bring creation back into the loving, life-giving purposes for which God created it. So our call is to stretch our imaginations and to wrap our minds and hearts around this idea that through the bread, we're not only fed, but we're being wooed into an intimate and nurturing relationship with God. And it's a call that's extended to everyone. The seeds of grace and love are planted in our hearts by God. The ultimate hospitable invitation, come dine with me. Whoever eats this bread, whoever believes in me will live forever. Whoever takes Jesus into our deepest selves, we will live forever. And Jesus is asking us to blow open or further blow open what we think we know about him and God. And Christianity is no different than Judaism was when in Jesus' time. We've had things we know are true and that we have done as a faith tradition that are so far from God's truth. We've known that Jesus loves Christians more than Jews, and that has fueled horrific anti-Semitism. Christianity has been used to justify the oppression of all sorts of people, to justify slavery, to justify keeping women out of the pulpit. It's only through engaging our minds and challenging what we think we know that we can crack open, like the Episcopal Church cracked open, to say, yes, women can be ordained. Yes, LGBTQ people are not horrible sinners. We're gonna ordain them. We are gonna consecrate marriages. We are going to bless every human being. We're invited into this relationship with God and to believe. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry, Jesus says. Now, one scholar notes that the Greek word, which is translated as belief in John's gospel, it's a word, pisteu, is a word that was more commonly used to refer to a trusting relationship, not to a set of a laundry list of convictions, but to a trusting relationship. And what if we were to look at that? Whoever believes in me will never be hungry? What if we were to blow that open and say, whoever enters into a trusting relationship with me will never be hungry. Jesus, the bread of life, is a proclamation that's all about trusting a relationship, cultivating a relationship between our humanity and the divine. When we feed on the bread of life, when we come up here for communion, we're bringing up our trust, however tentative or however well-developed, and we are opening ourselves to this bread and this relationship with God. So what things about who we think Jesus is? What things about the saving, transforming, and life-giving love of God, what things do we need to blow apart? What rigidity or resistance might we be clinging to that's blocking us from a life-giving relationship with, with Christ? For this is what is proclaimed as a relationship that endures forever, sustaining us, blessing us, and reforming us into the loving image and likeness of Christ so we can go out into the world as bearers of Christ's light. This is an invitation for all of us. Come, trust, feed. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me Will never be thirsty. Amen.